0: Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC, as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 16,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you will visit us at DMEC.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer, from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hello and welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC, and I'm here today with Terry Rhodes, DMEC's CEO, and Dr. Nancy Dome, co founder and CEO of Epic Education, who are going to talk about belonging, an important piece of the diversity, equity, and inclusion equation. This episode complements Terry's Trends article that focuses on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Listeners will find a link to this article in the notes section of this podcast, along with links to learn more about Dr. Dome and her impressive work in this field. I'm going to give brief bios for our speakers and then hand things off to Terry to start our conversation. Terry has more than 30 years of experience in the absence management industry, and she is going to facilitate the conversation about belonging with Dr. Dome. A speaker, author, and equity consultant who co-founded EPIC Education in 2014 to provide leaders in education and business with accessible professional development in diversity, inclusion and belonging, and equity. There's simply not time to give her full bio, though she is well known to the DMEC audience as a talented conference and webinar speaker. We encourage listeners to visit the EPIC Education website to learn more about Dr. Dome's work and to read her book titled Let's Talk About Race and Other Hard Things, which was published in January 2022 and provides a framework for effective communications. Terry, I'm going to hand things off to you to get us started.
1: Thank you, Heather, for that. And I am really excited today to talk with Nancy Dome or Dr. Nancy Dome, for those who don't know her, about the belonging component of diversity, equity, inclusion. I participated on a panel during the DMEC annual conference this past August and discussed this issue of DEIB with three of our DMEC board members who were able to share their experiences and One of our board members, specifically the organization that he works with, was focusing on this belonging component. And so I really wanted to dig into this concept a little bit more because it's something that may be new uh, to some of you listeners out there, but others of you may have already embraced it. So again, uh, Nancy, I am so excited that you're here and uh, we're, we're pleased uh, to share some background uh, on the belonging piece of DEI, what that looks like in practice, how employers can, and I'm gonna put here, I'm air quoting here, create a culture where people appreciate each other's differences and give each other the freedom to be their best. We took this right from the Epic Education website. We've also included a link in the notes section uh, so our listeners today can go directly to uh, the website. As we've mentioned, the belonging piece is a relatively new concept for some and I'm hoping that you will be able to shed some light on why it's so important for employers to understand this and embrace it. So, Nancy, how can employers do that?
2: Well, um well, first, thank you, Terry, for having me. I'm really um, excited to be here with you today to talk about this because belonging is such an important topic. And I think, you know, historically, we have felt that, the workplace was, you know, I'm doing the air quotes now, like this professional space. And for some reason, reason, belonging hasn't seemed to always be something that people talked about. So I'm really glad that we're talking about it now. Um, and I would say that it's twofold why we need to include it, include it. One would be because um, just looking at the bottom line, it improves productivity for any organization because when your employees feel like they belong and they know that they're welcome and, and that they can show up authentically as themselves, then they're gonna be better workers for you. And then the bottom line really comes to what kind of spaces do we wanna create? You know, And if we want to think about people staying within an organization and not feeling like they need to leave, they need to have a draw. They need to feel like they belong. And so this emphasis on creating spaces and, and really looking at your climate and culture um, to create spaces where people know that they can show up that they can be imperfect that they can um, have d- uh, different you know beliefs and and thoughts and ways of doing things and still be able to contribute to the whole is really where we're we're needing to go And so part of it really really comes down to, how do we allow people to be themselves without placing our judgments on what we think someone should be or how someone should look or how someone should sound or how someone should dress or who, you know, people get to love. Like if we could really allow people to be themselves and, and refrain from, from, um, judging in a way where we are then excluding people from the equation, then we would see that we would increase that, that notion of belonging within organizations.
1: You know, I think your opening statement, Nancy, where you talked about productivity grabbed everyone's attention because (laughs) that's what our professional community is so you know, tasked with is to make sure that we have productive and healthy and happy employees. So thank mm-hmm. you so much for that. Yeah. Well, are I mean, there... it's
2: all, it's all of us. It's, it's our bottom line, right? And, right. and how do we, yeah. how do we ensure that we can do the work that we need to do? Um, and part of that way to ensure it is by making sure that our employees are happy.
1: Yep. Yep. So are there some practical steps that employers can take?
2: Absolutely. Um, But it takes practice, right? Because this is new terrain for a lot of people. And so, you know, and and it gets into this zone of, of people being willing to experience a level of discomfort as we navigate this new terrain for us. Right. So one, if I'm an employer, I have to kind of get used to uh, to some you know, discourse that may not be d- directly related to you know, what's happening at work, but is contributing to you know, the productivity and how people are experiencing you know, their jobs. And so creating spaces where you can have open dialogue where I can share, you know, for instance, um, let's say that I am uh, uh, trans. And I feel very uncomfortable using, you know, because we have restrooms that are male and female. This notion of like a unisex restroom, we see it in bars, we see it in different places because it's been easier to have one bathroom, you know, instead of having two for for different sexes. You know, when I can go and know that there's a space for me that's safe, that I can participate, that's letting me know that you see me and that I belong. But sometimes that's difficult for people on the other side because I've literally heard statements like, it's just he or she, simple as that. Well, it really isn't that simple. And if we can refrain from um, imposing our beliefs onto other people and create spaces where everyone gets to show up, then we begin to to really shift our climate and culture. And so this this willingness to lean into this discomfort is crucial for anyone to start creating that kind of climate where where people feel like they belong. It means that they have to be willing to have those tough conversations. They have to ask questions. They have to invite voices into the room that might not necessarily be there. Um, So I think about many, many organizations, a lot of decisions happen from the top down and they don't always include the voices of the people who are, who are you know, kind of lower down in, in the, the rung of the, of the work that's happening. And so this idea of how do you get those voices and people to give input about their experiences? And how do you listen objectively you know, not taking it personally. And, and when I say that I don't feel safe or I don't feel comfortable or, or I don't see, see, I don't feel seen or I don't feel valued, how do I listen objectively and really try to get to the root cause of it and try to resolve it with you instead of for you? And I think that is a big mistake is that I think I know what you need without actually including you in that discussion of what you know you need. And so how do we open that kind of dialogue and be open to hearing things that might feel a little bit uncomfortable for us?
1: Yeah, I think I am just sitting here thinking about this. You have to like lean into this, the discomfort. I mean, we have to be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in our conversations. And that's a foreign concept to many people because- They view it as conflict, not uncomfortable, uncomfortableness. So, um, yeah, we we teach in a lot of our courses that, you know, it's like with an accommodation, making an accommodation, a reasonable accommodation for someone under 88. You don't do that blindly and just say, oh, you know what? I think this is the best job for you. You involve them in Mm -hmm. that process that interactive process that's why they have it it's to say well what do you think you can do as opposed to me saying you can do this job i've looked at everything i've looked at your medical records i've looked at your restrictions your limitations and i've determined you can do this job so the same thing it's like it's the same thing that resonates like have a conversation and ask people what is it that you can do for them
2: Right. And then you, you, when we talk about belonging, if, if I'm asking you what that translates to the employee is that I care that I actually care about you and what you think. Right. And yep. I value your opinion and your perspective. And so that go that's that whole idea of creating that space by just having that conversation. You've changed the dynamic
0: mm-hmm. of
2: that work relationship. Yep. Right. Yep. And it's I'm asking you. I'm difficult. not telling you. Right. And, and it's it's not difficult, and everyone ends up happier. Like, and that's why I'm saying, you invest the time now, it will pay off later. Um, but if you if you continue to do things, you know, for people with it, and you think you know what's best, um, you're going to be disappointed over and over again, and it's going to just feel like like my voice doesn't matter. It actually it actually begins to break down. Mm-hmm. Um, any kind of, you know, climate and culture that might be productive. It breaks it down every time something like that happens.
1: Yeah. 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 So true. Yeah. So I, I'd love to have you talk about, and again, I'm doing some air quotes because we pulled this <laughs> from your website, this open and honest communication component that, mm-hmm. that goes along with DEI. And I'd like to hear some suggestions for employers so that they can understand and establish and maintain this type of open and honest communication.
2: Yeah. I mean, so some things that we've done, you know, different strategies um, uh, help to get to this place, but, you know, the first one is really taking a, a pulse or an assessment of your employees. And, being, and and that's the beginning of open and honest communication, is allowing your staff to provide feedback on their experience in the workplace, right? And being willing to not just collect the data, because we do that a lot. We send out surveys and then no one ever sees the outcome of that. And, and you begin to feel like, what's the point of even answering or doing this? because. it it never comes back around. And so this idea of really having this cycle of inquiry where you authentically ask questions that that you want for better or for worse, to hear the answers to about the environment and the climate and culture, and then bring people into the space to talk about it and begin to problem solve. Like, so not just like dealing with the symptom, but also dealing with the root cause. Why do I feel uncomfortable here? What's happening? What is my experience? And not to diminish it because you don't have that shared experience. And this is really when we start talking about empathy. Like, how can I show up for you, Terry, even if I don't know exactly what you're experiencing, how do I show up with empathy and seek to understand what it might be for you because you're experiencing this work environment differently than I am, right? And instead of minimizing you or diminishing you in any way, how do I acknowledge that this is your experience? And then how do we get to the bottom of that together? And so that that that, that willingness, again, to listen, to uh, to try to refrain from, from uh, taking it personally. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest thing is because then it feels like it's like this good, bad binary, right? Of like, if, if they feel like uh, the organization is not a, a welcoming place, then it's a bad organization. Well, it's, it's nothing is black and white. You know, there's a lot of gray. And so this idea that, that it's not good or bad, but how do we make it better? It's not as effective as it can be, but how do we make it better together? And I think that, that together is really the key piece. Um, again, it shouldn't be coming from the top down. It should be this idea that we are collaborating together with all the stakeholders who are impacted to look at what can we do to make this, um, to improve this climate and culture.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things that I'd like you to talk about, Nancy, is this protocol that you've developed Mm -hmm. that helps with communication, the RIR protocol. Mm -hmm. Um, I've taken your course. It's great. Um, It's not just directed towards business. It helps in your personal life. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd like if you could just talk about that for a little bit um, and how that uh, relates to communication and open and honest communication.
2: Yeah. Thank you. So the RIR is what I would call the tool and it it lives under the umbrella of what we call compassionate dialogue. And um, the RIR was created first as this, these practical steps recognize, interrupt and repair, which I can talk about briefly. But what I realized in um, teaching that for the first couple of years was that if you didn't have compassion, recognize, interrupt, repair could be weaponized. I can recognize that you hurt me and that you're a jerk. I can interrupt by telling you you're a jerk, and then I can repair it by never speaking to you again and ghosting you. And I was like, well, that's <laughs> the, that kind of defeats the purpose, right? So this idea of having compassion and seeking to understand and connect with each other, even when we're in conflict, right? And so the first recognize really invites us to, to turn inward because if we don't understand our, our feelings and our reactions to something we are almost doomed to just react and then give up our control to our feelings. So you do something that, you know, I, I per- perceive as hurtful and then I'm angry and then I yell at you. Well, that, that kind of, again, defeats a purpose. So if I can recognize, oh, wow, that hurt me and I'm angry, and I ride my emotional wave, I the idea of interrupt is what question or perspective can you share that will invite conversation rather than shut it down? So if that happened, then my question might be to you, um, wow, that was really hurtful, was that your intent? Or could you tell me what you mean by that? And you begin to see that even asking those questions, they're not, they're not super deep, but it gives me a moment to ride my emotional wave. And it actually lets me ascertain what your intention was because that really matters. I mean, all of us have you know, put our foot in it, you know? And so if you give me the, the, the opportunity to correct that error, then maybe the, inter, the interrupt leads to, wow, I didn't mean it that way. And we can have a different conversation. Or if it leads to, well, I did mean it that way because of this, we're still having a conversation, right? So compassionate dialogue um, is not, a, it's not an easy, I'm doing the quotes, Terry, it's not an easy, uh, it's its not like this soft, easy thing. What it is, it says, I'm actually going to lean in and I'm going to stay engaged even when maybe my my inclination is to, to fight or flight right? How do I stay present and stay Mm -hmm. engaged and seek to understand where this is coming from? Mm -hmm. Um, and the protocol is powerful. And as you said, it, um, It works on the intrapersonal level, so it allows you to look at your own beliefs and mindsets and biases that you may have. It definitely works on the interpersonal about how we are engaging with each other and is a fantastic tool for organizations to to use to kind of set the stage for how we communicate, especially when things are difficult and then ultimately it's a way to look at the organizational the practices the procedures the traditions the things that exist so that you can begin to break it down using the rir at each step
1: yeah it's very very powerful great great tool for everyone please you know do go to the website and and take a look at it um One of the comments, again, on your website that resonated with me, and I'm going to read this for our listeners, is, in our society, we've forgotten how to disagree, listen, and move forward together. And I think most of you out there would agree with that. And Nancy, I think it would be really powerful to hear you talk about this and how you've helped guide organizations through this process and then how it's helped support the 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 concept of belonging uh, with DEI.
2: Yeah, you know, um, we put that up there because it, it is astounding to me kind of where we are today. And I don't think that I ever believed that we would be where we are um, and which I would kind of label as basically intolerant, right? Intolerant of each other, intolerant of different ideologies, intolerant of different beliefs, um, as if there's only one way in which anything can be done or should be done. And so we really focus on kind of remembering that that the beauty actually and and the the innovation and the inspiration comes from myriad of beliefs and thoughts and processes that that it it is our uniqueness that actually makes us stronger and better and us moving together that that is exponentially more powerful than me doing something on my own and i think that you know we we've really kind of hunkered down into our camps and so we we're only listening or following people who think exactly like us and we're missing all this other, you know, really rich content because, because it's seems to be divergent from what we believe. And we also believe again, going back to that good, bad binary, that if you don't believe like I do, then you are wrong, right? Instead of you are different. And so what we are really trying to do is to create space through the protocol, through compassionate dialogue, to remember that. That it is our differences that actually will unite us and make us stronger and and it'll keep us innovating and it'll keep us fresh and it'll keep us moving forward. And so how do we create that space to differ and differ respectfully? Like you and I can come from different political parties. We can have different ideologies, but it doesn't mean that I can't respect, love and support you. Right. And so how do we how do we find that space And the work that we do with organizations really goes back to the question you asked before of how do we begin to really authentically, genuinely have open and honest dialogue with each other um, and really seek to understand? Because what we do know and this is proven through contact theory and other um, psychological approaches is that. The more time that we spend with each other and we develop those relationships, the the more I'm willing to, to understand you, to hear you and to support you, even if I perceive that we're different. And so we have to focus on building relationships. Um, because it is those relationships that are going to provide us with the ability to be allowing and accepting of differences. And when we perceive ourselves as separate from each other, there's nowhere to go from that. And I, And I think that you know when you think of, of a company or an organization, it's really important to figure out how do we how do we bring people together and maximize the talents that they bring. Each one of you is here for a reason and there're different reasons you don't hire the same person who does the same thing. You hire different people who are good at different things so that you can have a complete picture. And that's what we have to focus on is is the beauty of our differences and uniqueness rather than looking at it as a deficit.
1: So true and so hard. Mm. <laughs> you know, it 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 is you know it's at the crux of a lot of problems um like how do we agree to disagree you know i mean we've been saying that for years but but it's so difficult um uh, for a lot of people Uh, lastly i'd love to hear your thoughts on how employers can create more inclusive cultures and how you differentiate efforts to ensure exclusive inclusivity, not exclusivity, inclusivity okay. from the work done um, to ensure there's a sense of belonging. I think you kind of tie the two together, Ooh. the Ooh. inclusive and belonging. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'd like to like to hear how 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 can we help employers create these environments?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna go back to, you know, first getting a pulse of your organization. Um, I, I think people think they know, you know, everything's great, Our, you know, organization's fine. And then all of a sudden something happens and they're like, oh, they didn't see that coming, right? But you don't see it coming because you're you're not actually, engaging on a meaning, like a deep, meaningful level. And and that this is not, um, I'm going to go back to don't take it personally. This is not saying that you're not doing a good job or you're not doing that. But I even know as my organization got bigger, I got a little more disconnected from the people who worked for me. And, I, you know, it, it's easy to kind of have other things to do. So how do you re-engage with your staff, your employees? And I know there's, you know, some of the companies you work with, Carrie, are huge. And you're like, how do I do that? But this idea of getting a pulse, looking at departments, breaking it down, because each department might have its own issues. There's some departments that may be running very well, and there's some that might have some discourse that is not necessarily effective. So first, you got to take the pulse. You got to find out what people are feeling, how are they experiencing um, the climate and culture that they're working in and ask for suggestions like what would you do to make it better? What are what are things that we could do that we can implement to do this? So, again, inviting that voice in, um, doing, you know, listening circles, doing, um, you know, forms, just different ways where people can voice without fear of retaliation. And this is important. Right. Because a lot of people won't say they won't speak their truth because they feel like if I speak my truth, it's going to come back to haunt me. And so this is where employers really get to walk the talk and say and prove, you know, one person is going to take that risk and how they respond will dictate how they move forward. And so if you can take the criticism and and, and the the feedback and, and use it to inform Um, your decisions around how to make your climate and culture more inclusive and more, um, more, uh, you know, suited for where people feel like they belong, then you will set the stage. And so it really is, it's kind of like, you gotta, you gotta take, someone's gotta take a risk and then you gotta every step of the way prove to them that you're going to be consistent and that you're going to hear and that there's not going to be some, you know, some negative fallout from um, it being said. And the, the first time that someone, um, an employer reacts and retaliates, you shut it all down, right? And so it's it's kind of like, you, people are gonna start taking little baby steps when they see you making that progress, really genuinely wanting to hear and make changes. And the more consistent you are, the, the more honest people will be. So that's probably one of the first things that has to happen is, you know, you've got you've to demonstrate to your staff that you are sincere about your efforts. It doesn't mean that you won't make a mistake. It doesn't mean that something won't flop. But the sincerity of your attempt will go a long way, and people will see that.
1: Thank you, Nancy, so much for having this conversation today. I know you've been doing this work for a really long time in a different format, but it's you know, over the last few years, this topic has really been, you know, bubbled up uh, Mm -hmm. for many different reasons. And so it's really um, great to be able to have this conversation and hear your perspective and get all of the rich, rich knowledge that you have imparted on us today. So thank you so much.
2: Oh, thank you, Terry. It's my pleasure. And I know I I feel like a broken record, but, you know, creating uh, spaces of belonging are not as difficult as we make them out to be if we are committed to doing them, right? Um, It will be uncomfortable for sure, but it's starting with getting um, everyone's voice in the room and really stepping back and not taking it personally and, and being open and, and hearing it and riding your emotional wave so that you can move through it and actually respond will be be the step for the beginning um, to, to create those spaces where people want to, to be and more people thrive. And again, getting down to the bottom line, if they're thriving because they feel that, they're, that they belong and they're included, then you will see uh, increases in productivity and profit. And, you know, that's a win-win for everybody.
1: Right, and morale.
2: And morale um, absolutely. Morale. <laughs>
1: absolutely. Yeah.
2: We have a lot of resources on our website that are free um and you can download the protocol worksheet. Um one thing um one tool actually I would like to leave you with is uh, there's a tool on our website called an um equity walk um and it looks there's one for education and there's one for businesses and what it does is it looks at Uh, for the business one it looks at your physical environment your branding your marketing your website presence and it lets you look and ask questions about you know who are you serving what does it look like so that you begin to see is it inclusive you know are you leaning one way because it's really difficult to you know I, i i have a lot of imagery of people of color i'm a black woman and that's what i want to see out there and and i have to remind myself that I need to be more inclusive. It's not just black people, it's all people. And so um, the same thing happens for all organizations that you start to see very kind of singularity and imagery. And so taking a look, that's a good first step too, when you wanna start thinking about creating these climate and cultures of inclusivity, inclusivity and belonging um, is to actually take a look and just walk through this rubric for yourself and answer these questions because it's it's a good, the physical environment is a good, easy place to start. To, to just put that equity lens on and start asking different questions. And once you start there, because you know, changing an image on your website is super easy and it's far easier than having that difficult conversation. And so, you know, you can start by looking at okay, are we inclusive? Do we, do we have representation? And start that way with a self reflection, and then eventually graduate into inviting those voices into your spaces. And that's um on under our resource uh tab under tools of the trade and i think it's a great place to start please take a look at it um, and if you have any feedback we'd love to hear it because we we love people using the tool and letting us know how it works for them
1: great thank you yeah lots, lots of good
0: resources today from this podcast <laughs> uh, thank you there are lots of wonderful resources and so many important topics that you you both have covered today this is heather and i just wanted to Thank you both for, uh, for this wonderful discussion, and I'm sure it will prompt a lot of people to do more research. So thank you so much, Dr. Dome. Thank you, Terry, for facilitating this important conversation. And I have taken lots of notes. I have lots of things I want to follow up on. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Terry.